Hey listeners, welcome to the Intelligent Conversations, where we believe that everyone has a form of intelligence that resides within them. We invite guests from various backgrounds to share with you what makes them unique. Our hope is that you and I can learn and grow together. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today, I have the honor to speak with Yvonne DeVita. Yvonne is the founder of Nurturing Big Ideas. She also is the former founder of a pet blogging community and helped raise $100,000 for shelters across the U.S. So, Yvonne, thank you for taking the time to come on today. I've been looking forward to this. But I usually kind of like to get, you know, kind of a feel. When I was reading your profile, I kind of got, you know, learned more about you. I realized you kind of are into, like, the charity work. You're into the writing field, those type of things. I want to kind of ask you this question to start. What was like that initial draw there? What kind of got you into that? What was the starting point? Well, I go back to my um, sixth grade. So in sixth grade, uh, my teacher brought me up after class to give me one of my assignments. And the assignment was to write a story, write a story about anything you wanted to. And she gave it to me and had an A-plus at the top. And I'd never in my life gotten an A-plus at that point. And she also said to me, you're a great writer. She said, I think you could be a writer when you grow up. And I felt so proud of myself. And it was just something that stuck with me for years and years because I come from a bit of a troubled childhood. So, you know, as I grew, I continued to write. And as I continue to write, one of the things, um, Josh, that I wrote about was having pets, having an animal, getting a dog. I wanted a dog. That's all I wanted in my whole life was a dog. Just get me a dog, please. And finally, I got a dog when I was 12. And I'll tell you, that dog went everywhere with me except school. They wouldn't let her come to school. But my friends knew that if they invited me to their house, that my dog was coming with me. So, you know, as time went on, I studied writing. I wanted to be a writer. I got some writing published. I was um, a columnist for a while in our local paper. And then I discovered um, print-on-demand. And this was 2005. Nobody else knew what print-on-demand was. I decided I wanted to write a book about marketing to women online. And I was going to use print-on-demand. And so I did, and I hired the the most prominent print-on-demand publishing company at the time, and they did a poor job, um, and that's being nice. I'm just going to be nice. They did a poor job. And so I said to myself, this isn't right. Authors shouldn't have to go through what I went through to publish a book that I felt was important in the marketplace at the time, and I needed that book to be out during that time and not two or three years later, which a traditional publishing offer would have meant. So I looked around and I said to my husband, maybe we could start our own publishing company. And we're like, we know how to do that? No, but let's figure this out. So we we went around and the first thing we did is we started interviewing printers in the local area. And we went to one, one printer, and Josh was sitting in the conference room waiting to meet with him. And it's, it's uh, wall-to-wall bookshelves with books. And isn't my book sitting on the bookshelf? And when he came in, I said, you have my book on your bookshelf. He said, oh, yeah, those are all the books that I publish. So my publisher was using that printer. And so I said, I'm in. I've got my printer now. 
I um, hired someone to build me a business plan. And when I got a loan, I started my publishing company. And I started helping authors um, publish their books using print-on-demand without going through the absolute horror that I went through. And over the years, I, um, I continue to be animal-focused and focused on helping shelters and rescues because that's my passion. I was actually a former veterinary technician. So um, when this young woman came to me and said that she wanted to do something with me, because I had a pet blog. I had a pet blog that I had pitched to Nestle Purina, and they bought it. They said, okay, we'll sponsor your pet blog. When she came to me and said, you know, you and I should do something together because she was writing a blog and she's a PR person. So she and my husband and my daughter and I got together in Ohio. She lived in Ohio. And we talked about what would we do. So we decided to have a conference for pet bloggers, people that we felt were underserved in the market, again, trying to help them accomplish their dreams and their goals by teaching them better writing, better photos, um, how to talk to the brands that they wanted to work with and all of that. So we started a community called Blog Paws. It's in my cup. And... Um, this continued my writing career because I was the person helping people learn to write better. And I was also in charge of bringing in the speakers and the presenters. And we would bring in keynote speakers that would come in um, pro bono. They would not take a fee. They would allow us to donate their fee um, to a shelter or rescue. So... During that time, we also raised um, money every year, not when we first started, but after a couple years went by and we had these conferences where we had up to 500 people coming and everybody brought their pet. So it was all pet friendly. And um, towards the last two or three years of Blog Paws, we raised funds for um, service dogs in, in uh, police stations for vests because service dog vests are very, very expensive and not all dogs have them. So wherever we were holding the conference, we would raise funds and present it to the dog um, during the conference. So uh, Blogpaws was then acquired by another company which was subsequently acquired by PetSmart. And at that time, Tom and I, my husband and I, we decided that, hey, we've been doing this a long time, but we miss doing books with people who are writing books. So we retired from Blog Paws and we went back to helping people write books. And in the meantime, of course, Amazon took over the print-on-demand world. Not that there still aren't other companies out there doing it, but we, we saw how powerful Amazon was with their Kindle Direct, and so we work with authors to write their books, and then we help them get it up on Amazon Kindle. That's cool. Phenomenal story, by the way. That's kind of how you like talked us through how you were originally like in a, a writer, right, in that mentality, doing the print-on-demand stuff. Then you transitioned and kind of became obsessed right with your passion and stuff and then you went back to the, it like that's just man that's an awesome story that you shared there and I, I just kind of a question that I think maybe some people maybe if they're like non-author or something what's print on demand right like what if I know it's a pretty basic question but what's print on demand 
Well, here's the thing, and I'm glad you asked that question because people don't know what print-on-demand is. They they have this mistaken belief that it means the publisher will print a book when someone buys it. So when you go to Amazon and buy a book, the publisher prints it and mails it to you. This is not what happens. Print-on-demand means you are in charge of the book because you're the author. When you put it up on Kindle or work with another print-on-demand company, they generally print five to 10 books and keep them in stock. So that if Josh goes on to buy my book, they have one in stock to send Josh. If the book is very popular, they will print more, 20 books, 50 books, whatever it is. When they get low, they generally put something up on the website and you'll see it on Amazon, um, soon out of stock, order today. You know, that's just Amazon's way of trying to get you to spend money because you can come back tomorrow and order it. They're going to print more copies of the book to get it to you. So it's a it's not a one off. It's when the publisher prints the book in small quantities, because in the traditional publishing world, if I was working with Simon and Schuster um, or one of their imprints, the reality is they print uh, upwards of three to 5,000 copies of the book and send them out to all the bookstores. So that's not print on demand. And so when people want to have what we love about print on demand and people want to get a book out quickly, again, traditional publishers take a long time to get a book out. You can get a book out in under a year if you're using print on demand in self-publishing. People want to get that message out. They want to get that book ready, printed, and available to the public because that book, generally if you're working with business people, which is what I do, that book is designed as a tool for their business. They want it to help them get better speaking engagements. They want to have it available. So using print on demand, it's available for anyone who wants to buy it. The author can buy author copies at um, a very reduced rate. So char the, the cost of an author copy is the cost of printing and shipping. And so you can have a, a box of books at home if you want to give out signed copies or take on the speaking tour or sell in the back of the room if you're doing a local event. Uh, it's, it's just an easier way to do publishing. Yeah, that's, yeah, thank you for giving that definition. I think that will help some people kind of understand what print on demand is. And I didn't actually notice that they kind of kept it like a smaller inventory behind the scenes. I, I actually didn't know that. I thought, you know, similar thing you were saying, like they just printed, oh, someone ordered it, let's print a book off and no. <laughs> no. Think of how that would not be cost effective. That would not be very cost effective for the printer. The um, being Amazon, Amazon. Here's here's the other big gorilla in the room that people don't don't know. The average author only sells 250 books. So Amazon's not going to print those 250 books. They're going to print five or 10 copies and have them there. And if that book isn't selling well, they'll just sit there until someone buys one. So what what would you say it takes to, you know, be a successful author so then you can get, you know, at least like hit the average, the 250 copies? What would you well, say? Well, you want to do better than that, obviously, if, yeah. you're, if you're writing a book. Um, so we'll, we'll separate fiction from nonfiction because fiction is a different animal. And in fiction, the author needs to sell copies of books because that's generally how they want to make their living. They're trying to be a writer. 
And when people think of, oh, uh, wanting to be a writer, that's what they think of. They think of novels. They think of um, people writing fiction. They think, I'm going to be the next Stephen King, or I'm going to be the next J.K. Rowling's, or I'm going to be the next Tolkien. And guess what? No, you aren't. Not, not likely. It's pretty It's pretty um, sure that you are. Maybe you will, but and I don't discourage anyone. However... When you're doing fiction and you become self-publishing and use print-on-demand, you absolutely want to sell a lot of books. Now, let's go to nonfiction. So I work with nonfiction primarily, and the authors of nonfiction books are writing them again for a purpose. It's to serve the business. So they're not looking to make a lot of sales to re to um, make a lot of money off of the book by book sales. They want to make money off of the book by including it in a webinar so they can charge a little higher price, by taking it on the speaking tour and selling it in the back of the room, because that way people can read the book and then hire them as a coach or whatever it is that they do. So the book becomes a tool. In the end, Will you sell more than 250 books? The only way to sell more than 250 books is to market your book. And that's a whole other ballgame. Yeah, marketing, especially in today's day and age, right, with the social media, everything, right? Like mar- market, the marketing game's changed, right? And I mean, there's even audio versions too, right? So now you can... Oh, audiobook is huge. Audiobook is huge. Ebooks are huge. Um, don't let anyone tell you that people don't read print books. They still do. People still buy soft cover and hardcover books. Some people do both. They'll buy the hardcover because they have to have that touchy-feely thing, but then they'll buy the audiobook so they can listen to it when they're hiking or whatever it is that they're doing. But yes, we recommend people get um, audiobooks and ebooks. The, the audiobook, especially, I've actually found kind of something similar in my life. I'll take like a book out, right? And then I'll also listen to the audio simultaneously as I'm reading it because I know that's how you learn, right? It's the more senses you can engage. Yes. Yes, I'm glad you said that. Yes, you learn, and you also learn by hearing and writing what you're, by taking notes. So write in your books. I recommend everybody, write in your books. That's, I think that's true too, write notes. (laughs) I'll actually admit this. I'm horrible at taking notes though, so I need to maybe get on that train. But especially right when I was in school and stuff, I I just remember I would be like, yeah, I don't really want to take notes. There's just... I don't know. I, I learn really well just listening, but to your point, right, the more senses you can engage. Yes, and it doesn't have to be a paragraph. It doesn't even have to be a sentence. It can be a couple of words, but underline something important, put a couple of words there. And that way, it's helpful to do that, especially if you're the author and you're speaking so you can go into the book and look at places where you noted that you want to talk about the other thing is for the readers to mark places where if they're going to a um, an event where there's a speaker and they have a question, they can ask the speaker and they can open the book and see where where was that question. I got to find that. So underline, uh, mark up your books, write in your books, use them as the tools that they're meant to be to teach you something. No, I, I agree. And I'm going to kind of like shift gears real quick. I don't remember the exact number but i know it's low <laughs> but i remember hearing something that the like the average american reads one book a year which i think i don't know is that low is that something that um 
I don't think it's that low. And and I don't think there's a way to say the average American does anything. So what happens is there are studies that will say people only read one or two books a year. And then there are studies that say people read six to 10 books a year. And in the end, I will tell you that successful people in business read more than that. They read maybe a book a month. Some of them read a book a week. And you, to be a leader, you have to be a reader. I like the play on words there too, right? Reader and leader. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, speaking of the reading like every month or every week, I actually set a goal last year. I just came up short. I was like, let's read a book a week or listen to a book a week. And I think I hit like 38 or something. I was close. But like some of those holidays, some of those holidays, I was like, oh, man, yeah, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> or like some books were longer and some books. Yeah, just that's kind of what happened. But I guess the question I kind of want to ask is people that don't read. How do you help them? Because I. I actually didn't read a lot when I was younger, but then as I got older and kind of found that I liked the books that gave me like a point like, hey, I can actually learn something from this. I loved that genre and like just kind of just dived into that and loved it. Whereas some of my other friends, they like, you know, the fiction or the fantasy, something like that. How do you kind of help someone find what they like? And so then they because I think reading regardless is just beneficial. Yes. And, and I know people who don't read fiction at all. And I know people who, like myself, read both. And um, the people who don't read fiction will read business books, again, to um, learn something and help them in their business. So generally speaking, if I meet especially business people, entrepreneurs who say, I don't have time to read, the reality is um, you're reading every day. So every time you go on LinkedIn, you're reading. And so all of those posts, and people are posting very long-form content on LinkedIn. So when you're reading three or four of those posts, generally based on a topic that, that is important to you, that's the equivalent of reading a book. Now, if you want it all in one place where you could take notes, you can go buy a book. So when people say they don't read, I say, I, don't, I just flat out don't believe you. Of course you read. The Internet has really made reading something that people do every day, whether they think of it or not. And so when I work with authors, I ask my authors to pull content out of their book and post it on LinkedIn and post it on Facebook and the different platforms, um, whichever ones that, that they choose to work on, and not be afraid that they're giving away content, that nobody will buy the book because I posted it. You could post the entire book on LinkedIn and people would still buy it. A hundred percent. That Especially, I like that you mentioned the social media side of things. I think, I mean, I've actually never thought of it like LinkedIn being used that way too, right? Like, Listen, if you want of... to write your book on LinkedIn, you can just just write a long form post every week for about 10 weeks. And you've probably got about five chapters and then call me and we'll work on it and get the other five chapters. There you go. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, that's kind of true, too. Right. Every post that we do as it, it just gets bigger and the more posts you do, that's essentially like chapters 
in your life, maybe, or your professional career, and you're sharing it with other people. And if they find it valuable, maybe they'll buy a book from you. You know, and so basically what I do is I help them then fill in the blanks. So sometimes even in the long form posts, there's extra stuff you can put in there. One of the things that I ask authors to put in their books are stories of themselves, things that have happened to them, not just the things that have happened in their business, but tell me a story like I told you about my sixth grade teacher giving me an A+. Let's get some of those stories in there because you have to make yourself um, approachable. You have to make the reader feel engaged in the book and in the story that you're telling and they're not going to do it if it's a powerpoint or just a flat out listed uh, bulleted list of things they want to know why are you writing this why why did you build this business you know like you asked me in the beginning what's the backstory so i i work with my authors to make sure that there are stories in the book that are relative relative to the content to the message but also engaging to the reader no that's you're right i, I think especially when you bring in personal stories right it almost i mean i you hear that all the time right i mean everyone asks the question like Oh, how do I become TikTok famous or LinkedIn famous or whatever, right? Social media famous. But uh, oftentimes, right, it's making yourself vulnerable and saying, this is something that's happening in my life, right? And saying, here's a story. This is how I worked through it. And this is how I plan on going and where I think things are going to go. And just being just your true self and sharing your thoughts and your like what you believe type of thing. That's it. That's it. It's it's being vulnerable. And the key is to bring the reader into the story and make them feel like they're right there with you. And that's a little harder for nonfiction authors. It's something that fiction authors learn when they study creative writing because it's it's the show don't tell principle. So don't tell me the story. Show me what happened. Make me feel like I'm there in the story with you. And it, it's a harder concept for people writing business books. As you mentioned that, I, it kind of brings me to my favorite. I, I like to read kind of, as you mentioned, business books. And that's just something I like to do. Like I said, I like something that serves me a purpose type of thing. But one of my favorites is actually Shoe Dog. I don't know if you're familiar with that by Phil Knight. And he takes that approach. It's actually a story format. And he just talks about, yeah, I went and traveled the world. That's how I got the idea for, like, I went and stopped in Japan. That's how I got the idea for one of the, <laughs> I, I wanted to make track shoes or something like that. And bam, now you have Nike, right? One of the biggest companies in the world, as I'm, I think I'm actually wearing that today. But that's, <laughs> but yeah, I, one of my favorite books, I, this is a little off topic, but what's your favorite book just off the top oh, of your head? My, I don't have a favorite book. I have behind this monitor, I have a bookshelf full of books, and they're written by women, most of them, because women are underrepresented in the world of writing and publishing. Um, and one of my favorite books, I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you a couple. One is called Fierce Conversations by Susan Collins. She talks about how women can learn to talk and act in a business setting um, without being accused of being too um, bossy. 
and it's a very good book for beginning um, entrepreneurs to learn because you have to go out in the world and talk to people all the time, and especially when you're talking to clients. And sometimes the clients are not, or the people you're you're networking with, they're not. Um, they're a little less than, than politically correct, and you have to learn how to deal with that and how to handle it, and then be able to promote yourself, again, without being bossy. So I really love her book. Then another book I have is called Strong is the New Pretty, and it's a, a picture book of young girls and the sports that they do and the things that they do and the things that um, um, young girls are out doing today that 100 years ago you would not have thought them doing, like playing baseball, doing that kind of thing. So I really like that because I really am not focused because the, the funny thing is I was focused on women only. That was my goal, to get more women to write books. And lo and behold, men started coming to me and saying, why won't you work with me? And I'm like, okay, I'll work with you too. So I have more men clients than women clients at the moment. Um, and, and they're doing really great things. They're really great authors. But in the end, women are underrepresented. So I'm always following on LinkedIn people who are talking about women's rights and women's the things women are doing and supporting that while I'm also supporting all of the writing um, stuff on LinkedIn and talking about writing. So it's kind of one of the things that it blog paused when we were running the influencer community at like 80% of the bloggers were women. That's, that's interesting. I, I have a question as I'm, you know, develop, like listening to you talk and that is how, how would you encourage maybe women to like, write? What would be the best way you'd say to encourage that? Well, what I do is I generally say that because there are, are we're in an economy right now and we're in a place in the United States where two things are happening. Some young young women just out of college or they've they've worked for a few years, they're thinking to themselves, I don't want to be stuck in this nine to five thing. I want to do something innovative. So they're looking at becoming entrepreneurs. Then you have women who are 50 and above who have retired from a job that they might have been in for 20 years or more, but they don't want to just sit home and knit booties. So they think, I have a hobby that maybe I could turn into a business. So I tell women who have businesses that it's your duty to write a book so these other, these young girls and these, these women who are trying to start uh, businesses and become entrepreneurs can look to you for the advice they need because a woman starting a business is entirely different than a man. So these women will read the, the usual books uh, written by men, and there are many of them out there, but they're actually looking for books written by women because they want to feel the connection. They want to be able to say, well, she understands me because she's been through this, this, and this, which is not the same as reading a book that, that a man has written. The things men go through are different than the things women go through. No, I I agree there. I was actually going to ask that too. I was like, so how is it different? But I no, I agree, I think. Right. Men and women, we think different, too. Right. So, I mean, sure. Right. You can get you're going to experience the same sort of thing issues, but how it's dealt with. That's where you need the two perspectives. And it's not that it's good or bad. It's not that it's right or wrong. It's just different. 
It's just that the mindset is different. And do, do the one thing I do is I would love to see more women and men writing books together so that you have that, that power partnership that can help everybody. Hmm. Now, that's an interesting idea. I don't even think maybe I'm just I need to get more into that world. But I don't even think I mean, I'm sure there is. But is there a book? Yeah, you kind of know where I was heading with that. Is there a book that? So my husband and I both wrote this book. This is our book. This is the How to Write a Book book. Okay. There you go. And we wrote it together. We wrote it together because he had things to talk about in the book that I didn't, and I had things to talk about that he didn't. And there are other husband and wife teams that have written books, and there are even some partnerships. So men and women who go into partnership in business, and they write a book. And so I think, you know, we need more women, and we need to see more men and women who are able to collaborate on a book and share the kinds of things that they not only have experienced, but that they've learned. Because again, back to the, the way people learn, we learn, each person learns differently, whether it's from hearing or just seeing or taking notes or whatever it is. And sometimes you listen harder if the person you're listening to is the same gender as you. And sometimes you don't, but um, when you get these partnerships or collaborations, then you're covering all the bases. No, that's that's a fair, yeah, I like that. And I think just the, the word you use there, collaboration, right? Two, I mean, two minds is better than one, right? It's just more ideas are flowing, one. And two, you also have more experiences, right? Everyone that's, I mean, that's what <laughs> kind of the point of my show too, right? Is everyone has those unique experiences that they've done, right? They've gone through that make them intelligent and they know more than that person in that specific thing. Right. And no, I, it, again, it's something I believe wholeheartedly, especially on the collaboration end of things. That's something I think maybe we need more. Yeah, of. We, we also need more collaboration on people who are younger and people who are older. So that's a real powerful combination. Yes. I, I think that's like, I don't even know what to say there. That's I 100% agree there. I think oftentimes we kind of butt heads, right? Like, oh, you guys aren't working that hard. And then the other generations like, you don't get it. We're dealing with this and this and this. Problem. And it's just you keep butting heads, right? But in reality, right, this generation has some things that you can benefit from. And then you can teach this generation. Yes. Like, everyone has something to learn. I have learned so much from the young people that I've worked with or um collaborated with not so much on books or anything, but whether it was in networking events. We one time in Colorado, Tom and I lived in Colorado for 10 years, and we worked with um, a couple of women who were in their early 30s. And we created a workshop for small business owners to teach them how to bring more play and creativity into the workplace. And these were young women who were dancers and musicians, and we provided the content, and we talked about what to do with all of it. And we had a day-long workshop that was phenomenal, and it was everyone loved it. It was a big success, but 
we just could never get back and do another one. But but the one we did was really great. No, I again, it's that collaboration. You you can learn <laughs> from other people. Everyone has just everyone has something that you don't. Yes, yeah. Right? And everyone ha- also everyone has something to give it as well. Oftentimes, right? You think, oh, I know a lot about this. I'm like, but everyone has yes. something to give as well. Yes, right. Well, that's the the beauty of what I do with my authors, because I actually learn so much from them about their business or or their coaching or whatever it is that they're doing. And they learn from me how to tell stories and how to be more engaging, because all of the authors I work with want to speak. So they want to take their book and go on a speaking circuit or or go and do keynotes or be part of um, events where they're speakers. And I work with them, again, on when you're doing the speaking, you have to tell some of the stories. But here's one of the beauties of working with a, a book coach. I work with them on not putting all of the stories they want to tell in the book because I want them to have some new, fresh things to talk about when they're speaking to an audience. And so they can share stuff from the book, but, oh, guess what? This isn't in the book, and I'm telling it to you here today. No, that's no exactly right. I That's actually something you kind of find with, especially like content creators. They're always wondering, like, they kind of have their peak, and then all of a sudden they go on the decline, and they're like, why? And I'm like, honestly, I think you just ran out of stories, right? You just ran out of things that, Honestly, people just got dis like they just lost interest. It's like when you were on the rise, right? You can tell new story after new story. I was like, oh my gosh, that's like incredible. Like you built that and you did that and what? You like that's crazy. You I didn't even think you're that type of person type of thing. But then as they learn more about you that then kind of drop off that spectrum. So I guess I, it's only naturally me to ask, how do you just keep going on well, that? Well, here's the thing is you, you need a pivotal story like the one I told about being in sixth grade. That's your story. And then you know in your head you have all the other stories and you bring in any other story that fits. So I brought in blog paws. And, um, you know, whatever is relevant to the networking group that you're at And when you have a book, of course, they want to hear about the book and they want to hear about you. And so you have to have those two or three stories that you keep separate. And the truth, Josh, is you can tell the same story over and over and over. You just tell it different. You just just chain things. You just tell it backwards to forwards. There are a lot of different ways to do it, to make it entertaining, to make it uh, worthwhile for the audience and for the reader or whatever. Um, I really like it when my authors tell me a story about this, that, or the other thing, and and I'll be like, why isn't that in the book? We have to put that in the book. And they'll be like, "Mm, I don't know if I can put that in the book. Do you really think it fits in the book? Yes. Here, let's, let's look at the book and see where it fits and we're going to put it in the book. Or if we're not going to put it in the book, then let's write it so that you have it, not just, you know, because a a speaker on the speaking circuit 
even though they know the story, they really need to have it written down. They really need to read it over. They really need to practice it. They really need to know the right words in the right order. That's one of the things we work on uh, when, they, when you work with me, the right words in the right order. Um, it isn't just this little thing that you talk about to make the audience clap or, or, or whatever it is. It's, it's an important part of what you're bringing to the, um, to the lectern. So you need to, you don't need to memorize it. I'm not saying that. I don't want people to have to memorize it, but you need to know how to tell it fluidly and fluently and not trip over, oh, wait a minute, no, that was, that was, I forgot to put this in there. You know, I forgot this part of the story. No. So if you write it down and you look at it and you know, then you're going to be more prepared. That's, that's awesome. And so this is kind of a question that's, I've been thinking of, and I'm going to use it as the intelligent question of the day. And you've mentioned, right, you got to write it down, take those steps in order to be a great speaker. But Oftentimes, right, I, I think everyone knows this, right, if they've been listening to this podcast long enough, you're not going to be the best right off the bat. But oftentimes what may be the hardest thing for them to do is to actually take that first step, to actually go into it, to actually start writing the book, to actually start trying to go in public speak, to actually start. What would be your kind of best advice or encouragement to go out there, take that first step? and achieve whether it's writing a book or public speaking <laughs> just call me in. so here's what happens if people call me i'm not here to pitch them to write a book i'm actually here to say tell me what your big idea is because that's where it starts it starts with a big idea and everybody has one so what is the big idea next we say who cares about the big idea that would be your audience right and then we say, how do you find those people? Because that, that becomes the marketing. So it starts with, think of what the big idea is, whether it's speaking or writing a book or anything else, there's an idea there, it's a big idea. It's something you want to share, right? If you're going to speak, if you're going to write, you want to share it. Well, why do you want to share it? That's a really big question. Because if you come to me and say, well, I have the biggest idea since um, you know, ice cream was invented, and it's going to be a bigger bestseller than anything Tony Robbins ever wrote. If you come to me and say that, I say, wow, that sounds great. Here, let me refer you to this other person over here, because I'm not in the business to make you rich and famous. And if you're in the business to get rich and famous, then I'm not your coach. The idea is to help other people achieve something. So if you have that big idea and you want to help people achieve something, then the next step is, how do I get this big idea in front of the people? I say a book is the best way, but maybe you just want to start on the speaking circuit right away. So then you have to figure out, well, where where is that? How do I do that? So there's a lot of how-to questions. Um, I actually have a book, an ebook on the site that, that walks people through the things that they should be doing if they have a big idea, again, whether it's to start a business or write a book. And um, the first step is to sit down and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Who is it for? And where are the people? How will I get in front of them? Because that's the biggest question I get from, from new authors or new writers who want to be authors. They say, well, 
who will ever read my, nobody will ever read my book. Why should I write a book? Nobody will ever read it. I'm not, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. Nobody's gonna read my book. And I say to them, okay, go to the library. Go to the library for me. Walk down the aisle of the genre that you're writing the book in and tell me how many of those authors you've ever heard of. You probably haven't heard of very many of them. And you know what? People still take those books out and read them. Exactly. No, that everyone that's listening right now, that's the intelligent answer of the day. That was that's good, I think, especially to your point with the last part, right? That right? Not everyone picks up that book, right? It's everyone has different needs, everyone has different wants. I, I think oftentimes we come in with that mindset of, Oh, well, I'm gonna serve everyone, right? This is just this is better than sliced bread type of thing and but the reality is, is you're only going to ser- like serve a certain group of people, and those people are going to get the most value out of it. So understand that that again, back to the library. If I'm going to the library for a certain kind of book, I'm probably going to take out three different books, all by different authors. So don't tell me they won't read your book. They will. No, exactly, and th- that's a great way to cap it off there. But I, I, I hate to wrap this up. We've been. Uh, I've learned a lot and but you've mentioned kind of I know you have your business that helps you know authors and that thing I know you have some books out there you kind of showed us there as well what's the best way people can find it reach out to you and get a hold of you and learn from you what's the best, the best way, way is that? to connect with me on LinkedIn so just go to Yvonne DeVita on LinkedIn connect with me you'll see that I post um, a lot about writing and publishing I am not hiding anything. If you want to know how to get a a big publisher, I can tell you how to do that. If you want to know more information about self-publishing, I write about that all the time. My site, Nurturing Big Ideas, has a blog where I write a lot of this content also uh, because I believe in giving away. The more you give away, the more you give back. So finding me on LinkedIn and then going to Nurturing Big Ideas and reading the blog. I also have a podcast there, um, video podcast, where I interview smart people. It's called Smart Conversations. So, Josh, you'll have to come on my podcast next. I would love to. That's I always love an invitation to come on another podcast. But thank you for taking the time on to come on today, Yvonne. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> So everyone, as you can tell, that's Yvonne DeVita. She's a very intelligent person, has great things to say. She gave you the information there. If anything interested you guys today, I would challenge you guys to reach out to her. She dropped the information there. Stay tuned until next week. We got a great guest lined up for you guys. See you guys next week, and let's get after it. Hey everyone, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We could not have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and fill out the form there. Thank you guys again, and let's get after it.